And I'm going to be writing down while right. I'm yeah. talking. So. Sometimes he waves his hand and smacks your, yeah, mi your yeah, microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He's got like podcast. <laughs> okay. You want to cut me down? Yeah. Ready? And five, four, three, two, one. What really mattered was our ability to, to be the innovators, but what we didn't have at the time was a recipe to scale that. We could scale mass production, really anybody can if you've got the bank account to buy the equipment, lease the space and everything else, but how do you scale the, the creative side? How do you scale innovation? It's not home, it's not work, it's a third place where people go and interact and collaborate and are productive. And really, uh, I like to think of it as it's a third place for engineers. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name is Jason Zenger, and welcome to episode 18 of Making Chips. I'm here in the studio with my friend and co-host, Jim Carr, and also in the studio here with Ray Ziganto. This episode is a hardware store for a new generation. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. How are you doing, Jim? I'm well. How are you? Welcome Good. back. How are you doing, Ray? Doing great. Thanks, guys. Great. So um, why don't we get started? I'll be happy to introduce our, uh, our guest we have with us today. We have uh, Ray Zaganto, and he is uh, currently, Ray is the president of BiLink in suburban Chicago. Ray is a seasoned industry veteran. He's got 16 years of service at BiLink. Prior to his presidency position there, he was the senior vice president of global operations, vice president of Asian operations, and a corporate sales manager. What does BiLink do, people may want to know? Well, they do engineering they do pre-prototyping. They do DFM, which is Design for Manufacturing, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later. Prototyping, injection molding, metal stamping, and sub-assemblies. They are a global corporation with facilities in China, Mexico, Europe, and the U.S. Currently, total employee count is about 1,500 and cumulative of 550,000 square feet. They service the automotive, wireless, and medical industries. They were established in 1961, and we're going to have Ray talk a little bit about the history when uh, he goes on. But uh, welcome, Ray. It's great hey, to have you here. Guys, thanks. thanks. Ray, 1,500 people is a lot of people. Yep. Is it very flat where they all report to you? <laughs> He's met <laughs> no. everyone personally. That's, that's why I have a good face for radio. No, they. Uh, we've got an excellent team. What is flat is our organizational structure, so... Those 1,500 folks have surprisingly good access to the people that can make decisions and improvements for them. So Good. And, and you, were, you were the VP of Asian Operations. Did you actually live overseas when you were in that position? I, I have lived overseas. Uh, in my time with Bilink, I've, I've spent a lot of time on airplanes overseas. 
I bet. Uh, in uh, previous companies that I've worked for, I have lived and worked in Asia. I have lived and worked in Mexico as well. Okay. So. Well, I guess I'm doing manufacturing news today, aren't I? You are. Yeah, right so this, this isn't really a news per se. I'm throwing up quote marks that nobody could see. This isn't really like news per se, but I was watching a TV show the other day called The Good Wife. Do you guys watch this show? I don't, uh, but no. I know no, all okay. about it. So here, it's it's a show about lawyers, and basically, I'll, I'll try to make this quick. It, there was a legal case where somebody had actually 3D printed a gun, and two of the things that I found out about when they when they 3D printed this gun is that a the person that came up with the design actually changed the design before the gun was fired, thus causing backfire and killing somebody. And then the other thing that I learned is that there's actually a process um, when the 3D printing happens where the temperature of the printing actually makes a difference. And Ray, I know you're, our, at least in this room, you're the expert as it relates to 3D printing. You got to keep the temperature constant when you when you do this? You know, it depends on the, uh, on the process that's being used. Uh, number one, there's, it's not quite as easy as they make it look on TV. I wouldn't recommend any of our listeners or anyone else <laughs> attempt that. There are differences, uh, yes, in the printing. A lot of it's controlled automatically when the uh, materials are being printed. Where you can dramatically influence the physical properties of the part is in post-processing, depending on how you, you clean the parts and how you treat them okay. a secondary operation. Okay. So Yeah, it was just interesting to me that they that – there was a TV show where the whole premise of the TV show was about 3D printing. So yeah. I would say the 3D printing has arrived. They have a major, you know, network show that was all about that. Why don't we get into the show? Um, we're talking today about a hardware store for a new generation. And what we want to discuss with Ray is how he put together this concept for the hardware store by Bylink, where they wanted to reach a new generation of engineers. And how did this name come about right away? How did this concept come about? Were you guys sitting in your sitting in your boardroom? What 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 exactly happened? You know, the the hardware store by Bylink was really the byproduct of what happened to so many manufacturing companies in the U.S. in 2008. Uh, we were faced with uh, some traumatic changes to our business, uh, things that impacted our business and our customer. And we weren't able to use the uh, the old tools that we had to be able to respond to it. We needed to come up with something different. It, it was no longer a matter of making incremental improvement. We had to do something really innovative and figure out how to do that. And fortunately, we've had a history and a culture of doing that as a company. And uh, we just uh, didn't have to for a while. You know, what, what do you mean by those old tools that were no longer relevant anymore? One of the things you you learn as a uh, as a startup, you know, whether we've all got the stories. We've been around since 1961. Jason, your business, Jim, with your business as yeah, well. It's a long time. Early on, it was the founders were the were the brains. They were the personality. They were the innovators. They were the creative ones, and the customers they attracted customers to them because they were the problem solvers. And Bylink was no different. Uh, we were that way and went through a lot of stages over the years. And what we found at the end of 2008 was what really mattered was our ability to, to be the innovators. But what we didn't have at the time was a recipe to scale that. Right. We could scale mass production. Really, anybody can if you've got the bank account to buy the equipment and lease the space and everything else. But how do you scale the, the creative side? How do you scale innovation? So how did it all come about? I mean, were you just sitting around with engineers one day and you had this aha moment and you said, oh man, this sounds like, did you, did you write it down? Who pit, did somebody else pitch the idea to you or, or what? 
it, the idea evolved over the course of a year. It really did. It, it started out with, you know, we went through changes. We went, uh, we had a very large customer that wound up relocating all their work very suddenly to China for all reasons that made sense to them. We were fortunate enough to be able to catch the work in China, but almost overnight, you know, I went from, you know, three, 400 employees and had to figure out uh, how to get it down to a hundred real quick. Yeah. And that a was lot of, tough. A lot of us had to do that. That, 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 that was that brutal. Yes. That was brutal at a time when it was no longer obvious what was going to save us. What was the next thing on the horizon? We couldn't point to it, which meant we weren't in control of the clock, which was, uh, that was tough. So I had to start looking outside of Bylink to try and understand what are the, what are the trends? What's going on in the industry? And, 3D printing was a piece of it. The maker movement was a piece of it. Major OEMs that we dealt with on a regular basis were no longer just outsourcing their manufacturing. They were gutting their R&D teams, uh, their engineering. Everything was contract, and they were buying that help on the outside. And I looked at the tools that we had and the relationships we had with those engineers and with those customers. I said, you know, there's something here that we can we can do something with this. It all it, starts with a crazy idea, doesn't it? It, it, it had to. Yeah. <laughs> it had to. We spent some time kind of working the idea. Uh, I, I brought in some outside help to help facilitate some workshops with my team, my management team. It's, it's cross-functional. I mean, I've got, I've got R&D. I've got engineering and tooling. We've got sales. We've got plant operations. It's, it's not a big team, but uh, we all get in there and, and get our hands dirty and these were the folks that engage with the customers, know what capabilities we have. And uh, we kicked it around and ultimately came to the conclusion that the question we needed to be able to answer was, how do we engage more engineers sooner? Okay, so you wanted to engage the engineer earlier in the process. We have always done better when, listen, we're, we're tooling intensive. We're a tooling intensive business. In 1961, we started out building progressive dies four customers uh, for stampers in and around the Chicago area. Two guys, Mr. Beely and Mr. Linklater, uh, you know, started the business. That's what they did over time. It evolved. We started doing uh, contract stamping and, and away we went. So that was the fundamentals of Bilink and, and way back in 1961 when they started. And it still is today. In, uh, in 2014, between dyes and molds, we built uh, close to 600 tools, wow. you know, in the company. So it, it is what we do. And in every one of those situations, when we can engage with a, an engineer on a project as soon as possible and influence the design yep. so that the manufacturability is improved, every one of those jobs, the quality is better, the throughput is better, the economics are better, everything works. Okay, so the yeah. whole idea is to engage with the engineer earlier in the process. Once that idea is in their head, you want them to, you want to engage with them right away exactly. um, before it goes into production. Exactly. Okay, so somebody walks into the hardware store, what do they see? You know, the hardware store, let me, let me back it up just a second. The hardware store is a place. It's for engineers by engineers. It's not a hardware store like like your uh, like Talk, your yeah, hardware yeah, we're store. We're talking about yeah, yeah. It's, it's not it's not your grandfather's hardware no, store. No, exactly. Exactly. It's it's a collaboration space is is what it is. So when our uh, the engineers from our our clients come in to the space, what we have there, uh, we've we've got what we call resident engineers. These are people that we drew from the technical community in that area that are well known, well respected. Internally, we term them alpha engineers. These are the ones, there's a certain sociology that happens 
engineers like to hang with engineers. They know who the good ones are and they know who the dopes are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we try to do is pick out, hey, who's the cream of the crop? And so that's the alpha engineer is, is the engineer that everybody goes to when they have a problem. They do. They and need it, a question answer. They go to the alpha dog. And the interesting thing is even uh, within the communities that we're in, there are diverse industries and engineers from all these different companies. They call each other. It's a tremendously... It's a mixed, it's it's, a mixed community of and it's, it's very social, but it's, yeah, it's mixed in terms of like different automotive, industries. Automotive, wireless, medical, they it's, integrate together? Th- they do. Even within uh, within an industry, they'll collaborate. They'll never reveal the, uh, the keys to the kingdom. They don't share company secrets. But if they're trying to figure out how to optimize a design for a board level shield, or they're making a new connector of some sort, and they and they're trying to work out the forces and yield strength and those things, they may call a buddy or somebody that they know that is a, a ninja in this area and get some advice. You know, they work that way, and we've always had that as a segment of our business, and I suspect many of your listeners are the same way too. You've got some excellent relationships with some very capable engineers and you they're your go-to people. They come to you, you go to them. And business happens as a result of that. We saw that within our business too and wanted to find a way to scale it. In our eyes, coming up with the concept of the hardware store by Bylink was gonna let us do that. We could open a 1,500 square foot, 2,000 square foot facility with some talent and some capabilities in a region where there already were a lot of engineers we already dealt with. There was the opportunity for us to expand our customer base out in that area. It doesn't hurt to have technical universities in and around the area. And we're finding in today's economy, a vibrant startup and accelerator community is pretty interesting too. So the win for Bylink is when you're providing something for your core customer base, which is the engineer, without having to be salesy when you talk to them. You're providing value for them. You're providing tools for them without overtly selling your company. Exactly. Engineers still... They don't want to be sold to. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm an engineer by training, so yeah. I understand how that is. You kind of, when a salesman comes in, the engineer automatically thinks that they're smarter than that salesman. Yeah, they'll, they'll shut down. And it's, you know, in the spirit of full disclosure, I'm an engineer by osmosis. I've been in this business about 30 years now and been fortunate enough to work with some really smart people and I pay attention. Uh, I have had some formal training, but uh, what that does is allow me to walk both sides of the fence. I get the discipline and the focus and the creativity of the engineers, and I understand how you need to you need to engage them differently. And this is a place where they can uh, be comfortable uh, to explore and express their ideas, work through a problem. Sometimes they just need to get out of their own current environment and talk it through with somebody else. We want to be that place. So the hardware, I like it. Yeah. So does the hardware store have like cam systems there to use, like AutoCAD, MasterCam, or, or, or is it all design stuff that they can use? You know, usually the guys, they'll, they'll come in with a laptop. Today on a laptop, you know, you can be running Pro-E, oh, SolidWorks, whatever okay. whatever you need to. We have that. You know, that's there. Our engineers on site right. are good with, uh, with those systems. Everything we're running from the 3D printers to the machining centers and everything else, it's pretty easy to be able to download back and forth. So I'm envisioning, and okay, first of all, you have one location in the United States for the hardware store right now. You have two now. Okay, where, where are those locations? The first one we opened up, we had our grand opening in Raleigh, North Carolina, technically Morrisville. 
we're just near the airport there. We opened in November of this year, and we're currently doing the facility fit out for a location in San Diego. Okay, so so Raleigh, North Carolina, and San Diego, California. Yep. And you also have plans to have an international location eventually too, right? International is different. Hardware store doesn't resonate internationally okay, so it's like it does something here. Else, I bet. Yeah, you know, there. It's a culture. It is. It re- yeah. it really is. And yeah. the, and the genesis for the name really came from kind of the play on words. We work in hardware. Okay. So it's right. not hardware in terms of getting nuts and bolts and drill bits and that. It's hardware from a, uh, you know, we do mechanical parts. Okay. So I'm just thinking I'm, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. I drive up to your address. Yeah. I park my car and can I just walk up and open the door? Yep. Okay. And what do I see? What you're going to see is uh, the first thing you'll see is we've got some basically benches, uh, tabletop things, places... I hesitate to say conference tables because they're uh, most of the time you, you stand up when you're yeah. there, but there's lots of ways to express, I talk about ideas, put some parts on the table. You're going to see uh, our sign, the hardware store by Bylink. You're going to see hundreds of different types of parts that Bylink as a company produces worldwide, metal and plastic assemblies, insert molded, straight molded parts. Sometimes you need to look at something and go, I'm working on something like this to start a conversation. There's the ability to do some some simple physical property testing. We've got some toolmaker microscopes, a lot of monitors. We can throw everything up on a screen, you know, blow it up to 200x so you can really see it. We have conference room space. We have a workshop area where we have 3D printing capabilities. Uh, we can do thermal forming uh, on site. We're going to be able to do some of our printed tooling injection molding on site in our locations as well. So there's kind of the the workshop. The uh, the collaboration conference room area, and then the uh, the the discussion uh, scheming tinkering area, which is is right up front. Okay, so right. so you have some 3D printers, and then you have do you have do you have any mills or lathes? We run a Tormac smaller format, okay, uh, type stuff. It's tough. The whole idea was where do you draw the line because you, you we don't want to go down the path of we're manning and equipping a full on you know bilink location everywhere, but. We have engaged with enough customers to know what kind of matters to them, okay. what what works, and we make that investment and put it local, and then they're plugged into our facility here in Illinois where I got all the toys. So, you know, whatever they don't have there, they plug into real time in Chicago, then it's just FedEx. You know, I'll get you whatever you need when you need it. I just have a quick question for yeah. you. Is it a membership to people that come in? Will you allow people? Do they have to pay like a membership fee or an annual dues? No, no, no. we don't. So it's, it's a coffee shop for a new generation. It's interesting you say that. Uh, I was thinking that same thing, Jim. I like that. <laughs> there's When we pitched the idea, uh, originally our, our, our owner, God bless him, says, so you want to open a Starbucks for engineers? Yeah, yeah I was uh, thinking that. Like if, if I'm going to write a book, yeah. I'm going to go to Starbucks, grab a coffee, and sit down with my laptop. If I'm an engineer and I want to design a product, I'm going to go to the hardware store by Violink. God bless Love you it. for saying that. There's a We discovered this after the fact. There's a lot of sociological research around uh, the phenomenon of Starbucks, and it's called the third place. And what it is is it's not home. It's not work. It's a third place where people go and interact and collaborate and are productive. And really, uh, I like to think of it as it's a third place for engineers. Uh, it's not it. home. I it's not work. Concept. It's not their model shop. Come to our place and be creative. Great. I love it. So how strategic were you in picking these locations? Because I, I bet, you know, you got to be very, if you want it to succeed, mm-hmm. you got to pick a location that's been researched beforehand. So t- t- can you elaborate a little bit about the, the locations and why? Sure. Well, it, it you have to have an existing customer base out there. We've tried the, if you build it, they will come thing in the past with past endeavors and it doesn't always work. 
So we have uh, an active, vibrant core group of customers in all of those locations right now. Uh, those are both areas where when 2008 came around and the big OEMs were uh, dismantling their engineering teams or R&D teams, engineers are pretty mobile and they scattered to where the opportunities were. And at that time, the opportunities were coming up in Raleigh and Southern California. Really? So a lot of our friends wound up migrating there. Uh, so we had that built in, you know, already, plus all the other criteria that I'd mentioned. So, you know, customer base, an engineer, uh, an alpha engineer that we could uh, work with uh, in that community there that was familiar with us. Uh, so the guys running Raleigh and, the, and running San Diego, we've known them for 20 years. We've worked with them in, in their careers at different customers, and they're just at a point in their careers where they're ready for a change and we presented something that's more fun than what they were doing right now. The people that are working in the hardware store are the alpha engineers. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And do you, you, I assume that you get other alpha engineers that come into the hardware store to, you know, play and, Abs and design absolutely. and everything. You know, it's, it's a wide range. We'll get, uh, yeah, other alpha engineers, as, as we call them, come in there. Uh, students, college students coming in with ideas. I, that's why I mentioned about the importance of the startup, the incubator accelerator community in the areas. Our research into 3D printing really opened my eyes uh, to what's going on in the uh, entrepreneurial bent in the United States these days. And it's no longer just code, it's things, it's parts. And it's becoming a lot easier for the average person to be able to go come up with an idea and turn it into something and and really launch it and and make something happen. And that's exciting. And the way technology is and the way our culture is and the way our business is set up, that's a perfect space for us to, uh, to engage. So that's all part and parcel of what goes into selecting locations. We've got others uh, on the map, uh, other locations we want and plan to go to. These, uh, these two are just the first ones uh, that we're executing on. So walk me through a scenario. So I'm an engineer. I've, yeah. got, this, I've got this idea for mm -hmm. a product, or let's just say I'm having trouble with a product I'm having. I go to the hardware store. I talk with one of these alpha engineers. They help me through whatever my difficulties are or just troubleshooting. Mm -hmm. And I've got this thing figured out. I've got this great, you know, for lack of a better word, the term that they use in, in the business community, I've got this widget yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I figured out, you know, what I want to do with this widget. And do you then connect me with somebody at Bylink where we could talk about production and how to actually bring this thing to market? Exactly. We can very seamlessly help make that transition, which that was another unmet need that we saw in this phenomenon. There were contract designers, there were prototype houses, there was low volume production, then there was high volume production. And every time you go from one to the other, there's a handoff. Because in most cases, you're going to a completely different company, which means new learning curve, new time. Miscommunication. Exactly. And a very high probability something's going to get lost. And mm -hmm. if it gets lost, it's going to be expensive. We saw that, you know what, we've got the global footprint and we can take a customer, as we say, from mine to market within Bylink. We can do all of that. What works for us, uh, you'll see, you know, truly global is something we talked about for a long time. You know, hey, all it takes is a bank account to be multinational. The hard part is actually talk to each other. And that's what we do really well. And that's really where we shine. So, yeah, when the engineer gets that widget worked out and wants to move it through the system, 
man, we make it easy for them. I've actually got a, a product that I'm working on right now. It's called the CamFast. It's a uh, mm-hmm. it's a fastener. It's mm-hmm. a patented product. Right now, it's being made in metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that myself and um, some of the other partners in the business have talked about is making this thing out of plastic. Mm-hmm. But I assume that when we translate this product from metal to plastic, we're going to have some difficulties in making it work correctly. So I could go to the hardware store and maybe talk with the engineers there and try to work out the kinks. And, you know, once we work out the kinks and we find out, you know, yeah, this is a viable product, I can then go to BuyLink and say, I need to make a thousand of these and, and you guys could help us. Exactly right. And even from the, uh, in this example, the metal to plastic conversion, we have the simulation tools that are available to us, the, the mold flow analysis, the finite element analysis type things. We can take that part, understand the loads it's going to go through, help with material selection, optimize the design, all of that. The hardware store is a place for engineers to get access to some tools and toys right now, as well as uh, being able to plug into a global manufacturing company. Great. So So we've asked you a lot of questions. You've told us a lot about the hardware store and your concept, um, how you want to reach engineers at the early part of the process of their production. Mm -hmm. And I think that we understand. Is there anything that we missed about the hardware store that you think is going to be relevant? We're in uncharted territory, so it is evolving. We're committed to the the concept. We haven't been wrong. Each one is a little different. What we see between Raleigh and the one in uh, San Diego, because the market, there's the market, there's the local culture, there's, you know, just some different things. And it's important to us to let that personality come through in those locations. Because again, we want our technical community that's going to take advantage of the hardware store, I want them to be comfortable there. The other thing we do in those spaces is uh, we hold events for our clients and the and the community at, at large. Uh, and where we'll do is we'll we'll bring in a guest speaker. We may it may just be a a jam session on a on a current topic. Come on in for pizza and beer some night after work. You know, with your peers and just toss around ideas. Hey, what challenges are you having? Uh, one of our guys from one of our other locations. We may have our molding director in town, tooling director, or something like that, and invite everybody in because we we want it to be a resource share ideas. Great. Well, Ray, I appreciate you telling us everything about the hardware store. Jim, do you have anything else that you'd like to add? I look forward to the day that I'd be able to get up to Raleigh and go in and, and see. It sounds like, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like just this culture, like this little, you know, yeah, cool, young college and maybe older in there just checking things out. Yeah, I mean, they got an were, idea and they want to just test it out. Yeah. If there were only more engineers in this country, we could have a hardware store in every corner, just like there's a Starbucks in every corner. Absolutely. I got news for you. For the listeners, if you have a manufacturing business, you already have a hardware store. My advice is make your shop a destination. There you go. Got it. Love it. There you go. Those are great parting words. Well, with that, I think this closes out episode 18. And Ray, we'd like to thank you for coming on the show. And, And what do you think about Stain to talk about 3D printing with our audience? I'm in. Okay, great. Let's shut her down. Jim, do you want to say bam? Or do you have something else to say before that? Well, I'd like to tell everybody, you know, Oh yeah, I'd like to see or hear feedback from today's episode. Has anybody been to uh, Ray's hardware store in Raleigh? What do you think about this concept? Does it interest you? Is it something that uh, you would go to and hang out at? Yeah, do you have uh, any advice for Ray? Maybe yeah. maybe you got some feedback to I'm make sh- it better. I'm sure Ray would love to know. And yep. they can always visit us at uh, makingchips.com and leave all their comments there or otherwise on all the social outlets as well. Yeah, uh, go to makingchips.com slash 18. You bet. That's it. Bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. 
We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. Uh, as the, um... Okay, we could, we could cut this part out, but did you mention something about that you, did, you had old tools? that didn't in order to reach your customer base did i miss that jim oh i i no i was i was i didn't think i wasn't hearing that there's a surprising amount of sociology behind right, you should be you should be paying us for this <laughs> i did you did yeah. oh yeah we have, we have the, the bottle of wine that's that's, pay, right. that's payment for jim and i that's yeah. right